So this morning we're going to depart from the study on Ephesians so that I can talk about what God has been teaching me through authentic community. And much of what I'm going to share comes from what I've been learning through my time with Wellspring Ministry and the amazing people involved in that ministry. I'm calling this our desperate need for deep, authentic community, confessions of an introvert. Now to start, I probably need to share a little bit about introverts. There's a lot of misconceptions. See if you identify with any of these on the screen. Wait for it. And I love this next one. We're here, we're uncomfortable, and we want to go home. And then my friend Will Farrell says, I'm not antisocial, I'm selectively social. And really, that's the truth. Introvert does not mean antisocial. It actually means that you replenish emotionally better in solitude. I'm actually a very relational person. In fact, God knew that I needed balance, and so he brought me my wife, Peggy, the poster child for extroverts. And here's what it looks like after a long day at work sometimes for us. All right, enough of that. This morning, I'm going to bounce around a little in the scriptures. There is so much scripture about living in community and being the body of Christ. That said, I do want to start this morning by looking at a passage from Romans 12, verses 9 through 16. The whole chapter is amazing, but I want to just start with verses 9 through 11 to give us a context for biblical community. So let me, let me read that now. Romans 12, starting with verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these pictures of community that you give us in scripture that we're going to look at this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would be among us this morning and that you would teach us. We're not here to hear what Chip Dimitri has to say, but really more what your Holy Spirit has to say and what you're doing here in our midst. So I pray that what is of you would penetrate our hearts deeply and what is not of you would fall on deaf ears. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's the goal. That is what biblical community should look like. Love that is sincere People devoted to one another in brotherly love, sisterly love, sharing with God's people who are in need, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and mourning with those who mourn. People living in harmony. And I don't know about you, but that is not what I see 
in our world today. And so this morning, I'm asking the question, I'm asking myself the question, how am I contributing to this? Is my life making things better or worse? Earlier in Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when I look at my life, do I see this transforming happening? I want to find out where my life is not lining up with what God is calling me to, and then I want to ask him to change me. So that leads me to a few confessions that I want to share with you guys this morning. Here's my first confession. True, authentic community does not come easy to me. We know that since the fall of man in the garden, our new default has been to hide and to isolate. This was not God's original plan. The Trinity itself is the most pure picture of community. The Godhead three in one. The plan was for us to be a part of that community. Listen to Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Genesis 2:18 says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Where are you? God said. Those were his first words after Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And God continues to ask that of us every day. Where are you? Where are you hiding? This isn't because God doesn't know where we actually are. I think it's something more. I think he wants us to confess our pride and our desire to be independent. I think he wants us to confess our need for him. So that sets the stage for what I want to share next. Here is my second confession this morning. Rather than experiencing authentic, deep community, I am more likely to isolate myself. Isolation is the opposite of community. We've all been hurt or wounded by people. And in the same way we reach to protect an area of our body when we receive a physical wound, we form emotional protective strategies to protect ourselves from emotional pain. And I want to give you an example of that from my childhood. As a kid in middle school, I had a very traumatic experience in the lunchroom. I grew up in Texas where I went to school and it was a little bit like the show Friday Night Lights. Football was king and the football players ruled the school. At lunch, all the football players would sit together at a table and it kind of became known as the popular table. One day, one of the popular guys who had been a friend of mine from elementary invited me to sit at the table. I was really nervous about it, but I said, okay. The other thing you need to know is that I have something called Tourette syndrome, and it was way more pronounced back in those days. I had some obvious tics, which made an already socially awkward time in middle school even more challenging. So I sat down, opened up my lunch, and started to eat. And about that time, this big football player from across the table stands up and really loudly says, hey, and then you can fill in the expletive. He said, hey, what are you doing sitting here? 
get out of here. And it was just like time froze. I was in shock. I felt like everybody was looking at me. And I don't even remember what I did next. Somehow, I think I just kind of grabbed my stuff and got out of there really quickly before I, I broke down. But I do remember, however, what I was thinking later. I said to myself, I will never put myself in a position to be hurt like that again. Never again. It was an intense declaration. And that declaration became like a log and an emotional dam that prevented the flow of God's living water to me and through me. It became a place where the devil made camp and began to use this event as a way to make me feel shame and pain. Over time, as more of these wounds build up, you eventually get enough logs on the dam that you find yourself isolated and afraid to be around people. It may take several years, even decades, to realize it. It isn't always a conscious thing. We're just living life, taking care of business, taking care of our family, unaware that these wounds are a hindrance to our relationship with God or with other people. We know something's not quite right, but we're not sure what it is. The symptoms are subtle. Instead of engaging with people, we turn to other things to dull the feelings of emptiness. It could be harmful things that lead to addiction, or as is more often the case, we turn to more benign things like entertainment or work or exercise. There's nothing inherently wrong with those things. The problem is when they keep us from experiencing what God has for us. The problem is that we are trying to satisfy God-given desires outside of God, and it doesn't work. It just leaves us more empty. So thinking again about what happened to me that day in the middle school lunchroom, there's another way that we tend to respond in self-protection. And this leads me to my third confession this morning. Instead of embracing vulnerability and letting people get to know the real me, I am more likely to present a version of myself I think they will like more. Another way that we protect ourselves from emotional pain is through a pose or a mask or a false self. Take the lunchroom incident. I might make the same declaration as before, but this time instead of determining never to go back, I decide to go back the next week, only this time trying to be someone I think they will accept. Ultimately, this is still isolation. It just looks different. We become afraid to voice what's really going on in our hearts and instead live in fear and shame and pain, hiding behind the mask or the false self that we think makes us more attractive to be around. All the while, the real you is living in silent desperation, isolation. So I do a lot of social media, and I think there's a lot of good things that social media gives us. However, I think social media can enable our false selves to grow out of control and take on a life of its own if we're not careful. It can become all about putting what we think is the best part of us out there for others to see. We can become dishonest about our struggles, afraid for people to see the real us. We take 15 selfies just to get the perfect one. 
You might have 1,500 Facebook friends, but you still feel alone. Or maybe you just got 200 likes on your last post, but you're not sure if people really like you or just like the version you posted on Facebook. Dismantling these dams starts with a deep understanding of God's love for us right here and now, today, God's love for us. A friend and mentor that I work with through Wellspring says this, God not only loves you, he likes you. You have to think about that. God not only loves you, he likes you. Do we believe that? If so, wouldn't our lives look different? Most of us have an intellectual understanding of God's saving love as demonstrated on the cross through Christ. But many of us don't understand the experience of God's love on a daily practical level. It's often through community that we experience that. It's like hearing God's voice through our brothers and our sisters. And isn't it an interesting paradox that it's among people that we find healing from the wounds caused by people? It typically starts with finding trustworthy people or trustworthy lights, as one author put it. People that will point us to God. People that will offer a safe place to share openly. People who are committed to loving us, warts and all. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This requires risk on our part. It requires ultimately trusting God for our protection. As we experience being loved by other people in a safe environment, the acceptance of love takes hold and eventually the lies are confronted by the truth. Not just at a rational level, but at a deep heart level. And it becomes an opportunity to repent and to let God dismantle those dams and allow his presence, his love, his grace, his truth to fill our hearts with life-giving, overflowing, living water. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. My fourth confession this morning is this. I am more likely to worry about how my life is working for me instead of thinking about how my life is working for other people. There are some incredible benefits to community that we see in Scripture, and I want to share some of those with you. But I want to tell you that when I first read these Scriptures, my inclination was to first think, I want that. But then my second inclination was to think about the people in my life that weren't giving me those things and how they were letting me down. Because it couldn't be me. As you hear these scriptures, don't do like I did. Instead, I want to encourage you to think, am I providing that kind of community for the people in my life? I'm going to go through these scriptures quickly and say very little because I don't think they need much explanation. Listen to the amazing things we were meant to experience in Christian community. 1 Peter 3.8, 
Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And this one really surprised me. Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Romans 12, verse 5. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Ephesians three seventeen through 19. And I have missed this first part. I, I quote this scripture all the time and have never really seen the first part of this like this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow. I mean, those are some amazing pictures of community and of the body of Christ. But maybe you're struggling to picture how that could look right here at Green Tree Community Church in Kirkwood, Missouri. And to be honest, I can't paint that picture for you. I think it looks a little different for each person. But what I can do is share a little of what I have personally experienced walking with some of these men. And maybe it will give you some inspiration and some encouragement. So recently I was feeling pretty down after dropping my two oldest sons off at college. One at Baylor in Waco, Texas, and the other at Tulsa University in Oklahoma. And on our way home, a brother reached out to me and spoke these words to me. I'm with you in spirit today, Chip. I hope you will lean into whatever emotions you experience, remembering that they won't harm you and that they are connected to your deep desires. 
I remember you saying that during your drive home from depositing Joshua in Tulsa for the first time, feelings of panic and loss sort of swamped you, taking you by surprise. I'm bringing this up because in case this should happen again, remember that similar emotions last year did not harm you. I know the feelings can be painful and my heart hurts when I imagine you going through them. But I also believe that you have what it takes to endure them. Lean into them and connect them to your desire for your kids. You know, had you not been such a great dad, your kids wouldn't be moving out. (laughs) Keep us posted on how you're doing along the way. That brother's words brought me peace in the midst of some intense anxiety. In another instance, I had the privilege of speaking encouraging words back to that same brother when he was feeling like a loser, like his job was a prison. I hear you, brother. The struggle comes off the screen as I read this. Thank you for sharing it. It's nice to be valued and trusted by you. I'm so sorry you are struggling. I don't see you as a man on a side road because you missed the off-ramp. I think your circumstances are less than desirable, but God is using you in a big way. You've had a powerful impact on my life and on the life of so many in your domain. My encouragement is for you to remember who you are. You are kind, compassionate, considerate, and courageous, among other things. Let this struggle motivate you to take an uncertain step of faith toward change. So I don't share that with you as one who has it all figured out, just one who has felt the love of God through deep community and one who's been able to extend the love of God through community. Another thing I've discovered is that when our interactions stay mostly on the surface level and for guys, our go-to is sports and work, we tend to spend time with other people who also like the same things on the surface level. But something amazing happens when you get down to the deeper desires of the heart. We find that we're really the same in so many ways. Our skin may look different. Our culture and perspective may look different. But we all want similar things. Things like to love and to be loved. To know and to be known. To have an impact. To be valued and respected. And all of a sudden, these bridges are formed where we can be in deep relationship with people who are very different than us. I've also had the privilege of seeing many brothers experience breakthroughs in their relationship with God or people in their lives. And it's like being on holy ground when those breakthroughs happen. I used to be afraid of this kind of intensity because I wasn't sure if I would know how to respond or what to do. Now I see it as a profound privilege. And all I really have to do is just be present and say very little. A common theme in our fellowships is that we have to combat the lies of the evil one in each other's lives. And sometimes these are lies we've been believing for years, for decades. Often an area we thought we were weak in is actually an area where we have strengths. And this is how Satan has held us back from becoming who God intended. Sometimes it means sharing tough words with a brother who isn't seeing a blind spot. But most of the time, instead of showing each other where we're messing up, we remind each other who God says we are. 
And we see this in scripture. God told Moses he was a leader and he became one. God told Peter he was a rock and he became the rock on which God built his church. God told Paul he was a teacher and he wrote much of the New Testament. God told Gideon he was a a soldier. God told Sarah she was a mom and she became one. Author Bob Goff says, we can't force compliance in each other's lives. We can't be the hall monitors of behavior. We let the Holy Spirit do that. And frankly, he's a lot better at it. Our job is to point people to Christ and to love them along the way. So my goal for this message this morning was to maybe give a little bit of inspiration or vision for how community looks at Green Tree and can continue to look at Green Tree. My hope is that it's been applicable for men and women, introverts and extroverts. That said, I do want to take just a moment to address dads. We're experiencing an epidemic of physically absent fathers, but we also have a crisis of emotionally and spiritually absent fathers in America. And I want to share a few statistics and a quote that comes from a book called Being Fathers in a World of Fatherlessness. The number of children living without the presence of a father has more than quadrupled since 1960. For the first time in American history, the average child will live for a significant period of time without a father in the home. It's becoming the norm. Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. It is the leading cause of declining child well-being in our society. It is also the engine driving our most urgent social problems. And I'll spare you the other statistics, but suffice to say, they're staggering. So why do I share that? It's because I was headed down that road. I was an emotionally absent father until God blew up the house of cards that I had built. I'm evidence that God can turn that tide. And to be honest, at the time that happened, I was unaware that I was even carrying things that were preventing me from having better relationships with God or people in my life. And even if I had been aware of them, I would have preferred God give me a private solution for the healing. But in his great love for me, he knew I needed the healing that only comes through community, deep, authentic fellowship with other men and for Peggy with other women. I need them and they need me, not just my strengths, but also my weaknesses. The interesting thing is that people feel more connected to me through my weaknesses than through my perceived strengths. And so this is the application today. Look for a deep fellowship of believers to do life with and don't stop until you find it. There is too much at stake. And today we want to give you a very practical, tangible way to do that. In your bulletin, there's a card with several opportunities for men and women to get involved. And and, uh, I think they're going to pass some uh, pins around for you guys. And then during these last couple songs, you can just kind of 
put a check by something that you might want to get involved with, give us your name, email, and phone number, and then somebody will be in contact with you. There's also some baskets by the churches in the back where you can deposit those cards or at the table in the atrium. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone. You give us yourself and you give us each other. And we are aware that there's an evil one who prowls around like a roaring lion. And so we thank you for community. We thank you for fellowship. And we thank you that you protect us through our brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to become a people who are being transformed and that our minds are being renewed like the Romans 12 passage. Help us to understand more deeply on a daily practical basis what it's like to be loved by you, to be liked by you. Lord, give us the courage to be in deep relationship with each other. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.